Hello and welcome to Spiraling Upwards, where we are in pursuit of real holiness of life as a daily response to grace in the companionship of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of God the Father. I am Father Robert Healy and I am delighted to welcome you to episode 13. Today we will be talking about knowledge of self, knowing myself, and how that can help me during this Lenten season. Now I think that uh, what we are probably going to be doing all Lent long is delving deeper and deeper into what it means to make a good Lent and what this time is for. Obviously, two weeks ago, we spoke about Ash Wednesday and the significance of the ashes, the importance of saying, I am dust that has been brought to life by Almighty God. And if I am going to fall back into being dust because of my sins, it is only because God desires to bring me back to life. And last week, we talked about the holy campaign, the war that we are to wage, this this holy war that we are to wage this Lent, not against uh, enemies of flesh and blood, but against enemies uh, that are of uh, spiritual enemies. And most especially, I would say, against the spirit of pride. Because as we know, pride is at the very heart of all sin. What is pride? I know better than God. And so therefore, I'm going to do it my way instead of doing it God's way. And that, that comes out in every, every different kind of vice and every kind of sin, whether it be sins of, uh, of um, impurity, whether it be sins of anger, whether it be sins of, of rash judgment or, or of uh, avarice or gluttony or whatever it may be. So we want at the start of this Lent, as we're here in the first week of Lent, to get a really good idea of the love that God has for us in our nothingness. And this this goes, I would say, contrary to our natural inclination, our fallen nature, because it's it seems to me that if God is to love me, I have to be lovable in order for him to do that. So, you know, I... I when I encounter a beautiful sunset, I don't make it beautiful. I recognize the beauty in the sunset and I appreciate it. If someone does something kind for me, I don't make their act of kindness toward me happen. I'm simply receiving it and therefore I am grateful for the act of kindness as a response to the act of kindness. I'm not the cause of the act of kindness. And so, if I find something lovable, I love it because I see something lovable in it. I'm not the source of its lovableness, right? Now, I can impute this upon God and say, therefore, um, God couldn't possibly love me because I'm so unlovable. Or, on the other hand, God loves me because I'm so lovable. Isn't it wonderful how lovable I am? And both of these are contrary to true humility. What do I mean? Well, Take, for example, the statement, uh, I am God's gift to the world. Well, no one would say that. People don't say that. This is, uh, there's something kind of uh, almost uh, silly about the idea that anyone would stand up before the world and say, I am so much better than all of you, right? But in fact, we live like this. We live uh, very often like 
we are actually better than everybody else around us. And that is partially because we know our motives. You know, if someone comes up to me and uh, starts chewing me out for something that I didn't do, I don't know what that person's motives are, but I'm certainly capable of imagining them. Whereas if I were to come up to someone else and be chewing them out, I know exactly what I'm chewing them out for. And if I'm going to accuse somebody, I have all my reasons, I have them all very carefully lined up, and I can see them all. And so I find myself so much more justified in being angry at this person than this person is justified in being angry at me. Because I didn't do anything to deserve being yelled at. And this goes for not just yelling at or, or being angry at someone, but also uh, for every other aspect of, uh, of our, our sin. Well, you know, I'm, I was just hungry. I was low on blood sugar, and I, I just started getting mad at the other drivers, you know. And this driver couldn't get it. He was not staying in his lane. Okay, 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 right? But the justification of myself because of the fact that I can see all of my all of my motives, obscures the fact that if I could see all of his motives, I might be more justifying of him. And if I couldn't see all of my own motives, I might think of myself a lot more poorly. If I just looked at the bare kind of stark view of what I do and what I say... And considered, what would I think if someone else said that to me, or I saw someone else doing that? I might be shocked, right? Someone can go 15 years without going to confession. I don't have anything to confess. I never do anything wrong. Well, did you ask your wife? <laughs> you know, did you ask your kids? Do they agree with you? <laughs> I think it's a pretty good way. I don't recommend it. By the way, I don't recommend that you start your examination of conscience by saying to all of the people in your family, or would you please tell me what it is that I do wrong? Because I'm not aware of my doing anything wrong ever. There's someone who said this, and I there's some truth to it perhaps, uh, has said that humility is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. I don't know who it was who said that, and I'm sure the person is much wiser than I am. But I would take issue with the statement just on this little, what he's saying is that humility does not consist in thinking any less of yourself. It consists in just not thinking about yourself, thinking about other people. And so a humble person is simply the do-gooder, the person who's constantly thinking about everybody else, whereas uh, it's the heart of pride to think about oneself, even if one's thinking about oneself less. Do you see what is being said? I take issue with the statement because I think that there is, in fact, an in, a very necessary part of humility that thinks of myself less than I have been thinking of myself. I need to get myself off my high horse to see that when I stand on the ground, I'm actually the same height as everybody else, that I'm actually standing on the same ground. I have the same, uh, you know, two legs and, and I walk the same way. That, that I am really not a cut above the general hoi polloi. And what that means is that when I start stop thinking about myself flatteringly, I can begin to think about myself honestly, truthfully, 
in the light of God and who he is and what he has done for me. Now, I'd, we'll come back to that, but just for a moment, I'd like to talk for a moment about this word flattery. Joseph Pieper has a wonderful essay. I'd encourage you to read it. I'm sure you can find it online, uh, or you can get the book, uh, get a little book from Ignatius Press or, or other places where it's published. It's called Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power. And uh, it is a wonderful essay. It is incredibly interesting. And what I like about Joseph Pieper is he is very academic, very intellectual, but he still makes, I think, he still makes his arguments approachable. So this essay, Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power, one of the things he talks about in this essay is how um, there is a certain use of language in the modern world which goes against true communication. Communication, as it's intended to be, or as the word implies, is a finding union with, communication. So it's a finding with the other, uh, union with the other person that I'm speaking with. Uh, and so I've got an idea or a feeling or, a, you know, some sort of a thought that I am putting into words, and I'm doing so in order to communicate my thoughts to that other person. Uh, to con- con- communicate verbally to the other person what I'm thinking, feeling. Of course, I'm communicating all sorts of other ways too, by my my posture, by my face, by the smile or the frown that I'm wearing, all of the body language and all of the voice tones and all these other aspects of communication that accompany the words. But uh, what Joseph Pieper says is there's a habit, there's a practice that's growing in the modern world. Now, he was writing this in the 1940s and 50s. He was writing this a, a while ago. But it's very applicable for right now. And this idea of speaking to someone in a way not that wants to communicate with them. I'm not trying to communicate what I actually think, what I actually feel. I'm saying what I'm saying in order to manipulate my hearer. So I, uh, I'm telling them I'm stretching the truth or I'm fibbing in some way. Or I'm telling an out-and-out lie. Or even when I'm telling the truth, I'm phrasing it in such a way, I'm coaxing it right into this particular perspective so that the person who hears me thinks of me in a certain way and thinks about what I'm trying to do in a certain way. We find this in modern commercials all the time. You're so intelligent, you deserve to have this product. Or for a smart guy like you, or for a cool dude like you, or for a beautiful lady like you, or whatever it is, right? These purposeless flatteries where I'm being told something that puffs me up so that the person who's speaking to me can sell their product to me. It's manipulating. And we have a way of doing this even with ourselves, of telling ourselves things that we want to hear and only listening to people who tell us what we want to hear because we only want to hear what we want to hear. We don't want to hear what is true. The humble person wants to hear what is true. St. Teresa of Avila has this wonderful phrase. She says, humilitas est veritas. Humility is truth. A person who is humble is a person who's living in the truth, who's not gussing it up. I am the most wonderful person, nor are they giving into self-loathing, which would be, again, opposite of humility. 
Oh, I'm so worthless. I'm so contemptible. There's nothing good about me. I couldn't possibly contribute to this project, so I'm going to stay out of it. Humility itself sees my gifts, sees my knowledge, and sees it for what it is. Gifts from God. Because ultimately, what am I? I'm dust. Dust that has been given a human form and has been given the breath of life. There is nothing that I can do just by using my own reason. Oh, I'm going to use my great intelligence and I'm going to discover, hmm, I'm going to discover how to speak a language. What? If you're going to speak Spanish or you're going to speak English or you're going to speak French, you have to be taught it. Every single thing I know, I have been given. Every single skill that I have, even picking up Cheerios and putting them in my mouth with a greater finesse than I did when I was two. You know, there are certain things that I've developed just gradually, um, doing things repeatedly, like picking up Cheerios and putting them in my mouth. My mouth. Uh, but all of it is by the grace of God. All is it by, of it is by His love. I exist here. I exist. I mean... I'm not an empty chair here. The chair that I'm sitting is has somebody in it because God not only created me at the moment of my conception in my mother's womb, but he's sustaining me in life. I can't keep myself living just by willing it. The beating of my heart. I think it's a wonderful thing that we live because of something we can't choose. The very fact of my heart beating isn't something I can keep it doing. Ultimately, even with all of the help of science. You see these, uh, these commercials, people say, we don't have to grow old and decrepit and die like people before us. We can stay young and healthy. Yeah, right. We're all dependent on other things. Most especially we're dependent on God. And in fact, all the people who have come before us, who have died, have simply witnessed to the fact that we too will die. We too are nothing. We can't keep ourselves in existence because it's almost like we've got a borrowed existence. The existence that we have, my very essence, is given to me by the God who created it out of nothing and has bestowed it upon me, I who otherwise would simply be nothing. And so at the heart of self-knowledge must be this humility that because I am thinking about myself in relation to God, I see myself less and less flatteringly. I see myself more and more in my nothingness. And not as someone who's, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm no good, but as someone who is loved in that nothingness. 